Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everybody, welcome to God's Whole Story. My name is Ryan. I'm here today with Chelsea and Chris, and we are dealing with... Oh, hi. Hi. (laughs) We are dealing with Philemon and then Philippians. So today is the chapter four PH sounds. There's a cool. name for that, but I don't remember what it's called. Philemon is a cool book, and it's unique that it's one of the phonics? few. <laughs> See, they're stuck on the PH. <laughs> that phonics. It's phonics one of the PH. few books we could spell that with a PH. It's one of the few books <laughs> that is a personal letter, uh, and so uh, like not to a church, not That's to a church, to an individual. It's written to Philemon who is probably a leader in the Church of Colossae. Uh, so that's it kind of goes hand in hand with the letter of Colossians. And Paul's writing him a letter of recommendation, a letter of appeal for this one person. So the goal of this whole letter is to see something happen with this one person, Onesimus. Um, Do we so know what a, happens? <laughs> we might. There's, yeah. We may. We may. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a cliffhanger there. Whoa. <laughs> Are we going right. to pick it back up again next? Is that what's going to happen? No. We, oh, okay. we can pick it up with church history potentially. <laughs> okay. So oh. what, what is it? Oh, okay. What's the cliffhanger? Well, before we get to the cliffhanger, we, oh. have, to, we have to talk. So basically... Just jump in the gun, Ryan. We're just yes. dangling here. I, I don't know. <laughs> the whole request here is that uh, Philemon would receive Onesimus back. And what seems to happen is Onesimus used to be with Philemon, but he's gone away for a season. He used to be useful, but now he's become useless. You see that his name means useful? His name does mean useful. So there's also a play on words here. Um, And it seems very likely that Onesimus is or was a slave who ran away or stole something from Philemon or did something, somehow made his way to Rome, met Paul, became a believer. And now Paul is saying, I'm sending him back. Uh, and I want you to not receive him in the way it was before, but I want you to receive him as a brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is an appeal. That, it's a letter that's probably coming with Onesimus to Philemon, knocking on his door <laughs> and hopefully handing him this letter very quickly so he can read what Paul says. <laughs> before you do anything, read this letter. <laughs> so because in this culture, being a runaway slave or stealing from your master, it was a just penalty for Philemon to execute the death sentence. So... Onesimus is going back hoping that uh, Philemon can read this appeal before he does what he is entitled by law to do and kills Onesimus, hmm. which is pretty wild. So yeah. this the whole letter is about forgiveness, is about reconciliation. Uh, and even some of the, the ways that Paul words this is so amazing that he says, you know, if Onesimus owes you anything, charge it to my account, hmm. which by law, what does Onesimus owe him? His life. His life. So, Paul, I mean, Paul has like said, hey, this guy means so much to me, and he is now your brother that you need to basically drop your rights to justice and forgive him, receive okay. him back. So this is a challenging letter because it Very. is to a slave-owning Christian leader, yes. right? Who probably has other slaves. I would guess he's continuing to be a slave-owning Christian church leader. Hmm. Um, Paul is requesting that the slave be returned there's a very real possibility he'll be put to death when he arrives. Mm-hmm. And so Paul does send Onesimus back to Philemon with the full knowledge that he could be put to death. Um, you put your, if you put yourself in this story in multiple people, think of it through Paul's eyes, through Onesimus' eyes, through Philemon's eyes. Like Philemon, he has to decide, if I forgive this guy, what are, how are my other slaves going to act? Mm-hmm. Are they going to think they can steal from me or run away and I'll just forgive them too? Like there's a lot of 
implications to this decision. It's, it's easy to kind of go, oh, just forgive. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a lot of stuff going on here that needs to be considered. Hmm. I think there's a lot of stuff that continues to go on with the letter for us to figure out. I mean, is it is it okay that the early church, like a, a leader in the Church of Colossae was owning slaves? Are we okay with that? Um, are we comfortable with the fact that Paul's like, yeah, just go back to your slave owner. That sounds great. But do it now as a brother. It's interesting. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of dynamics at play in this letter uh, that can make it a little bit of a a controversy. Yeah, there's there's a lot in 25 verses here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one, the big cliffhanger then would be what happened? Yeah. Did, did Philemon receive him? Did he kill him? What happened? Scripture actually doesn't tell us that. Um, there is a little bit of church history that uh, in the early first century or so after Christ, there was a bishop of Colossae whose name was, drumroll, Onesimus. Onesimus. <laughs> um, so, there, again, we can't say definitively, but um, when I read this book and I see that some of that church history, I do think Philemon actually uh, forgave him, treated him as a brother, and this slave eventually became not a slave. Uh, and was able to become potentially the bishop of the Church of Colossae. So is it fair to say you could have here in the book of Philemon a letter that makes the case that Paul's actually not supporting slavery in any way and actually kind of turns that idea on its head and perhaps changes the heart of Philemon to respect everyone as a brother? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that would also be consistent with some of what we see Paul's yeah. other writings yeah. on this topic. Again, he doesn't come out and like say, this is heaven on earth, this is the way it should be forever, but he moves the system that exists towards a more godly standard, um, one that treats people as equals. And we, knew to, we do know, broad scope, that a, a really pressing issue for the first century church was that you had slaves and masters attending the same congregation of believers. Mm-hmm. So this becomes challenging. And also if you look at church history within a couple hundred years of after Christ uh within Christian slavery was largely gone. Now it came back again. But there yeah. was there was an impact on on the first the early church in regards to slavery. There's quite a few slave owning influential Christians in Christian history. Uh, Jonathan Edwards being one that I've thinking about the mm-hmm. most recently. Um and there's also a lot of very prominent abolitionists Christian leaders, so. Hmm. Then we also have another book. (laughs) I mean, one of the things that jumps out to me right away, we've got Paul talking again. He's still writing another letter from prison, so he is still suffering for the gospel. And then he talks to a church that was in like a kind of one of the major cities of the Roman occupation. Philippi was like a, a, had a lot of former soldiers, a lot of soldiers retired there. So he talks about things like citizenship. He talks about rights. Uh, he talks about kind of giving things up. And it it's very geared towards an audience that would have been more hold on to those things. Like we fought for these, we earned these. Uh, and Paul is, here he is sitting in prison, the end of his ministry. You know, he probably never dreamed that uh, I wouldn't be out planting churches or seeing miracles at the end. But here I'm sitting in change writing letters. And he's encouraging people that true citizenship is not your passport. It's not your military service. It's it's in Christ. Uh, and so that's kind of the backdrop for so much that is said. And then when you go into the passage about how Christ is described, uh, it's very poignant to see like Christ didn't hang on to his own things. He, he served. He laid those down. He's actually called a slave, uh, which is shocking uh, to this audience. What's the word for giving up divine privileges? Kenosis. Thank you. <laughs> um, can you explain that? 
<laughs> uh, I think it. I think it just means emptied. I think it it, mm-hmm. it alludes to the fact that Christ emptied himself. It's it's a little bit complicated to dig into because he obviously did not empty himself of deity, um, but he did not exercise his authority as deity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it 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 is an important concept. What we like to tell students is that the fancy words don't matter, but the concept does. It's really cool that we have a savior who made a point to not exercise his authority while he was on the earth. Um, I guess he, he does exercise his authority over nature and like his dominion over things, but he willingly gives up his life um, where if you found yourself in that situation where you are the all powerful God, probably you could have protected your life in several different ways. Right. Because he gave up his divine privileges, yeah. we have salvation. Like yeah. if he would not have done that, we would not be saved. Yeah. And we're really referring to the very last part of the reading in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that it's kind of known as the Christ hymn. It's probably an ancient hymn. We don't know who wrote it, but it's one of the most beautiful passages about who Jesus is. And it's one of the most complete passages about showing that Jesus is both God and man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a mystery. We can't fully wrap our brains around that because you can see things and you're like, well, that looks a lot very human. Or then you can see things, well, that looks a whole lot like God, but... Um, you know, he took the, f- he was in the form of God and he took the form of man. And it's like, it's kind of like the ingredients label. It's like all that God was went into all that human is mm. and how that works out makes smoke come out our ears, Right. but it's why we worship him. I think that, yeah, I think that's why that makes God, God, because there's, we want to understand this so badly. We want to have like a reasonable answer to put to this, but we can't. And because of that, He's worthy of our worship. I think that's how Paul finds himself oftentimes saying, yeah, the answer is Jesus. Mm. And it's like infuriating because <laughs> that doesn't seem like much of an answer. But right. Paul, but is it human Jesus things. or God Jesus? Which Jesus? <laughs> no, yeah. It's just Jesus. He's, yeah, it's it's Jesus. That's yeah. that's the thing. And, and, and Christian history has wrestled with this concept for yeah. a very long time. And these were a lot of the foundations of some of the false teachings that were floating around. Some denied the divinity of Christ. Some denied the humanity of Christ. And Paul, he's kind of keeping this tension. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just saying it's both, and I'm not going to explain to you how that worked. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I always sticks out to me in this passage because I think it's so interesting is people preaching the good news um, yeah. and their motives and how Paul does not care what their motives are as long as That's the good wild. news is being preached. I think it's a very, it's like, again, a very selfless thing of Paul to say. Um, think about church history. That actually proves pretty true. Yeah. I mean, we always see all throughout church history in every age, God working in spite of people. Right. And nobody wants to see scandals in the church, but even when we see those kind of things, it's like, it doesn't mean that God didn't use them or yeah. And that's the power of the gospel. Them. Like, so, the yeah. gospel is outside of us. <laughs> it's not the ideal. Like, we should try to be good ministers of the gospel, not corrupt ministers, but... <laughs> well, in Paul's yeah. scenario, there are people who are preaching the gospel literally just so he is tortured more while he's in prison. Like their their driving yeah. motivation is to anger and frustrate and endanger Paul, and so for Paul to look at that and be like, "Well, as long as Jesus is preached, I mean, surely that that covers a lot." Because <laughs> um, the thing that sticks out to me a lot, where I find a lot of a lot of needing to apply this in my own life, is that that means that the pastors that I don't necessarily resonate with, like their message is valuable. Mm. Yeah, or denominations that differ on like sub things, but yeah, agree mm-hmm. on the gospel, like. Their message is valuable. It's important. Exactly. Well, there we go. Here we go. (laughs) We just solved denominationalism. Yeah, I mean, honestly. (laughs) One body. (laughs) Cool. Well, we'll be back again tomorrow to solve some other giant pressing issue, I'm I'm sure. (laughs) So we'll see you then. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Philemon, verse one. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. 
I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to the fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That's why I am boldly asking a favor from you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much used to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I want to to keep him here for a while while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news, and he would have helped me on your behalf, but I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help, you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very own soul. Yes, my brother, please do me this favor, for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you would do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I am hopeful that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you have first heard it until now. I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Christ Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. 
For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better, better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, it means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.